Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time. I did, we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Had to take a breather there. Yeah. And once again, I've fallen even further short than last week. I only have three movies That's in the past okay. week. Hey, you've got a I had a job, very busy you've weekend. got li- a life. Do you, um, here's something that I've come to realize over pa- a recent, I mean, the past year or so, that I feel like... The idea of a weekend is that, like, oh, that's where you relax. Right. But often I feel like my weekends are so full that I spend, like, I, the work week is when I catch up after the weekend, you know? Because, yeah. uh, like, we have, either we have family obligations or friend obligations or m- my wife and I are, uh, we like to go on little weekend trips and we are... Mm-hmm lucky enough uh to be able to do that we've actually got one coming up uh in a few days we're going to big bear big oh i love it i love big bear i mean and this time of year is great well people think of big bear as like winter yeah winter because that's where it's it's the closest snow pretty much to uh to los angeles but uh in the warm months it's great too because it's it's big bear lake you can go out on the water and it's i mean Um, but that's the thing is like we're not in summer yeah i've never really i've never been at i've never been in the spring i've been in the winter and i've been in like the summer it's It'll be chilly. I mean, it's chilly yeah. here. It will definitely be chilly up there, but not snow. Like, it'll be, probably be in the 40s or 50s, yeah. which for me is, like, just perfect. Because, like, all right, I can be out and enjoy the the air, but nobody's expecting me to do anything physical, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, probably we were thinking about doing some hikes, but um, we've got a couple of issues in that it might rain. Mm. And also our, uh, our, our dog, our lovely dog, uh, Darla, has a bum wheel. Um, <laughs> she's got a bad leg. Yeah. Um, but I said lovely then in that case, meaning it like, yeah, I do think our dog is lovely, but there's a weird, this is you and I tend to, I think we've, we've commiserated before about people overusing certain joke structures or sentences. Have you noticed this is the thing when someone's being sort of like sarcastically grand mm-hmm. and they'll say, uh, Oh, it's a, you know, uh, make sure, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, uh, oh, on that lovely email we got, all got you. Like, oh, people yes. overuse okay. the term lovely in like a sarcastic yeah. way. And I think I've started noticing it because the woman who hosts the weekly bar trivia that Natalie and I do yeah. does it constantly. Um, <coughs> and so now it's like one of those things that because of her, now I notice it all over the place. Anyway, the point is that's unfortunate. I'm, I like to use that word occasionally. But mean it. Yeah, I know. mean it. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, I do think my, my dog is lovely. My wife is lovely. Uh, my life is lovely. Um, I'm very happy with my life. Okay. Now um, you are overusing it. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, that's increasingly like, so this, this week I didn't, I've barely watched, I only watched three movies all week and partially because I had such a busy weekend. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and a busy week because it was my wife's birthday this yeah. week. Um, anyway, so, uh, that's it. That's all I'm saying is that, uh, maybe next week I'll have watched more movies. Although actually I can tell you next week we won't be doing a movie journal. Right. Yes. In two weeks, maybe mm-hmm. I'll have some to talk about, but I can tell you I'll be watching a lot of movies over the next couple weeks that we won't be talking about in the movie journal. Right. Yeah. We'll be talking about at some point. Yeah. We're doing yeah. research for something down the line. Okay. So let's just jump into something that I, uh, I, um, uh, that I watched and, uh, wrote a review of the Blu-ray over on the website, and that is Jack Arnold's 1955 creature feature, Tarantula. Yeah, which is uh, one of those giant bug movies. Um, 
and uh, it's it's not as as good as them. Them is, I think, sort of the gold standard for mm-hmm. this genre in this era. Yeah, you know, but it's not bad at all. Um, the, it, it takes place in a small desert community, as these always do. Um, uh, even though it's not atomic testing that makes it's a uh, biological uh, testing because. Have you seen Tarantula? When I was in high school, okay. like back when I, uh, this is embarrassing. What I'm about to say is embarrassing. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, because I'm so terrified of spiders, as you know, uh-huh. rightfully, they are monsters. Um, and so I was under the impression like, okay, maybe if I just, ex- just what is it? Like, uh something therapy like your immersion therapy immersion therapy yeah. like maybe if i just immerse myself in spider stuff i will no longer be frightened of them uh-huh. and so i watched like every like spider movie i watched oh wow kingdom of the spiders Did you uh, watch kingdom, that? yeah I, never, um, I, I, I remember watching that on tv when i was a kid i don't really count it as having seen it yeah uh it didn't work. In fact, <laughs> if anything, it made things because as it turns out, I was immersing myself in things that in, in media that only further right. uh, convinced me that these things, if they were, you know, the only thing that keeps them from killing us all is that they're smaller than we are. Right. Uh, not here, not, not here. In this case. Not in the case of Tarantula. We're, um, so John Agar stars, John Agar from the mole people. Um, but also he's, um, one of the main non non John Wayne people in Sands of Iwo Jima. Oh, okay. Um, he's like the, uh, uh, which type is he? He's the like college educated okay. one. Yeah. yeah anyway, the intellectual. Yeah, exactly. Um, so here he plays a small town doctor and, uh, just outside of town, there's a, uh, a lab owned by a professor, Played by Leo Jake Leo G Carroll. Oh yeah, uh, who's been in a lot of these um, uh, a lot of movies there. Um, he was over a barrel when Tarantula can't, it oh, went yeah, to the hills. That's right. Yeah. Wait, what is is that? Uh, Weird Al? No, that's uh, nice Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky it's, Horror uh, Picture Show. Right. Oh, I forgot. When about Tarantula that. took to the hills, that was it. Yeah. Um, so uh, he's uh, he's out there conducting experiments and he's trying to because he's so scared of overpopulation. He's trying to create a reusable food source, this okay. nutrient, and ends up making animals real big. OK. Um, and it also ends up uh, when people are exposed to it, it horribly distorts them. So I don't know if you remember this part of the movie that there's like this prosthetic makeup on the, on the, on the scientists as they, as they, I have no memory of that. As they worsen. It's, it's really creepy. And I didn't expect like in a creature feature, I didn't expect it to also have this sort of body horror um, type of stuff, but it's really good and really creepy. Um, And anyway, there's a fire at the, at the lab, all the animals die, except it turns out the tarantula didn't, burn up in the fire as mm-hmm. Leo G. Carroll thought thinks, uh, it did. It escaped into the hills and it keeps getting bigger and bigger until yeah. it's, um, the size of, I don't know, like a high school. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, it's about how, how I describe it. The photography, the trick photography is for the most part really good. Yeah. Um, uh, I was really surprised. It's not just, there's a couple of like, Oh, that's a tarantula interacting with like a miniature house. But right. a lot of it is, uh, is really good trick photography where it really looks like this tarantula is like roaming 
through the desert or rolling down the highways. It's knocking over power lines. Yeah. You know, uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool. Uh, I don't have much more else to say about it. Except, well, I'll say also say maybe the reason they were able to do such trick photography is that there's actually until the climax, there's not that much giant tarantula stuff in the movie. Yeah. A lot of it is build up, and and John Agar's character sort of trying to un- uncover with um, with John Leo G Carroll's new female assistant um stephanie steve clayton and this movie is so condescending about her being a lady scientist. oh i have no doubt yeah and i i, I use the phrase lady scientist because i think it sounds funny it's mm-hmm. the actual phrase that john john Agar, john Agar's sorry john Agar's character actually says uh he says something like i knew it give him the vote and what do you have next lady scientists <laughs> And then my favorite line in the movie is, uh, it's, so her name is Mara Cordray who plays Steve and she asks Leo G. Carroll, if she can knock off early for the afternoon to go into town because as she says, science is science, but a girl must get her hair done. <laughs> I do remember that line. Yes. And I think I actually, uh, many years ago I bought a book of, uh, like dumb movie quotes and I believe that one was in there. Yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. Uh, all right. What did you watch? Uh, okay. So uh, this was a, a film that we watched, uh, in class. Um, it was the week to talk about, uh, genre. Uh, but we didn't, but because it was also the same day that we did the final, we really only had time to just take the final, watch a movie. Uh, and so I thought, so I didn't, I really couldn't give much context, couldn't really lecture. But what I did do is I, picked five different genres of movies that I owned. Uh, okay. and then I brought two examples from each one. And so it was, uh, slasher movies, zombie movies, Western science fiction and film noir. And, uh, so we took a class, uh, we took a, a vote, uh, from my students first of what genre and much to my, I mean, much to my surprise, film noir won. Hmm. by like a wide margin, which is crazy to me. Um, so of that, the two options were Scarlet Street and Double Indemnity. And it was close, but uh, the kids voted for Double Indemnity. And they I think s- that's a better place to start if you're a young... I think so, yeah. too. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they I mean, there's, there's, a lot, there's a lot about Double Indemnity that is quintessential. Oh, yeah, no, no question about it. Yeah. Um, I, I actually wanted to try and stay away from the sort of the detective noir because in both of those you have like the every man gets pulled into a, yeah, a bad situation. A, yeah. Um, and so, uh, but I wanted to give them another option. Double indemnity was like the one that I was going to go with for sure. And so I picked Scarlet street cause it's just so damn good. Um, but they picked double indemnity. They seem to really respond to it. Uh, and I have seen the film multiple times. Um, I hadn't seen it in a while though. Um, which is why I'm bringing it up here. If it's a, you know, a, a couple year, a couple weeks ago, we also watched death of Stalin to talk about, uh, film oh, adaptation. Yeah. Um, but I've talked about it somewhat recently, so I didn't want to talk about it again. Uh, God, on the movie is funny though. It's so, it's so funny. And the kids really, liked it they really responded because it's mostly like verbal comedy i wasn't sure if the kids were gonna like it Mm -hmm. but they really responded to it anyway uh as far as double indemnity um i i mean i adore it it's it's yeah i think it's like a top five film noir certainly quintessential um and not merely because of the relationship between walter neff and phyllis dietrichson i do i mean one of my absolute favorite supporting performances of all time is Edward G. Robinson as uh, keys. And just, he has one of the most amazing 
monologues ever in which he's just listing off all the different categorizations of suicide to his <laughs> boss and and just and it's all these fun little like not one-liners but just everybody's just being so dismissive of everybody else so like at one point he he comes in and he's just like in his vest and shirt sleeves and tie and his boss is saying like oh do you find it particularly warm you know and just now of course it took me a long time because we don't dress that we don't dress in suits and ties anymore it took me a while to realize like oh his boss is upset that he's not wearing a jacket yeah and so after he just like lays into his boss about this suicide thing and as he's about to leave he goes next time i'll rent a tuxedo and it's like (laughs) ah that's so wonderful um, but yeah, I just, I love it. And there's this wonderful, and then the last scene between, uh, between Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck, they both have these wonderful moments where like the window is open and there's this music playing and they're taught, they, they never actually say it, but they're speaking pretty openly about like, so we're going to have to kill each other, right? Like that's <laughs> one of us is going to win this one. Um, and so there's this moment where, uh, and just as, as Barbara Stanwyck is about to, uh, to like confront him on that. He just kind of has this look and goes, I don't like that music anymore. And he walks over to like shut the window, which, and it's clear what's going to, that he's shutting the window so that he can kill her and no one will hear. Um, and then it cuts to her and she's been smoking a cigarette the whole time. And the way she just flings the cigarette away, uh-huh. it's just like, Okay, we're down to we're down to business. It's like uh, an action movie. You got it, some action movie in there. Sure, it wasn't one of your genres, but you. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, oh, it's uh, you know uh, pulse pounding. Yeah, uh, but it's just this nice moment where you see when you see bad people make the decision like okay enough dancing around the time has now come to murder you yeah. um and the favorite part is when then barbara stands Stanway gets into the karate stance and does the lord's fish for exactly like, yeah. thing <laughs> and then and fred mcmurray like he he almost he almost gets her but then he extends his fingers now she gets he gets her right in the throat yeah that's matrix right uh yeah yeah okay, that is. Oh, thank yeah. god um but yeah, it's uh, and then at the when in the framing device when <laughs> Frederick Murray's talking into the recorder and and he and he just happens to mention I know kung fu, <laughs> right? <sighs> I hate you so much. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's just uh, when's the last time you saw it? It's been probably even longer than you have. It's although I feel like I've seen Los Angeles plays itself so recently sure. that I'm always, it, like there's a bunch of that in there, so I remember. I did look up like various filming locations and yeah. that sort of thing because it's interesting. Uh, and they just and it's it's always fun. I feel like there's something about Billy Wilder, especially that uh, when it, when films take place in Los Angeles, he mentions streets. Mm. He I don't know. It's it just it feels like a very. LA movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it is, but yeah. they don't hide it either, you know? Yeah. Um, so I just, uh, you know, uh, I'm not saying anything new when I say that Double Indemnity is a marvelous film, uh, but it's nice to be reminded every once in a while. All right. So uh, the next movie I, I, I saw, um, my review will be on the site soon. It comes out, uh, starts opening in Los Angeles at the end of next week. And Tyler, I am over the moon about this movie. Oh my gosh. Now, I, I believe I remember you were a fan of 2003's The, Bar- the Barbarian Invasions. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, well, this is the new film from Denis Arcand called The Fall of the American Empire, which is kind of right. confusing, if you know, because The Barbarian Invasions is a sequel, sort of, not that it's important, but mm-hmm. a sequel to his 1986 movie, The Decline of the American Empire. Right. The Fall of the American Empire is not 
part of this continuum, but it is according to our con sort of takes place in the same sure. world, which is our world. It's not, yeah, these aren't fantastical. The, nothing uh, that I said actually is important to watching the movie. Except right. It's just weird that he has a movie called the decline of the American empire and a movie called the fall of the American yeah. empire. And much like his other movies, this is a movie that takes place entirely in Canada. There are no American characters. It's almost entirely in French. Yeah. It has nothing plot wise directly to do with America or, you know, the, North America, certainly, but when yeah. you say the fall of the American Empire, you're talking about the United States. That's not, it's not in any way directly related to the movie. Right. Except it, um, there's so much, there's so much you can read into the sort of di- dialogue, the dialectic of this, of this movie, of, of what it's saying. Uh, but let me go back, let me step back and say that, uh, I'll, I'll mention the plot, which is that there's a um, young, broke, intellectual, uh, not as young as he once was. He's probably like 30 or so, um, who spends all his free time, you know, reading philosophy and appreciating art and stuff. And then works as a delivery driver for a UPS type company or whatever. And, um, is very much, uh, very, very left wing, very, um, uh, socialist doesn't really believe in money for whatever that means. Um, which the movie gets into. And then one day he's about to make a delivery and uh, the place he's delivering to turns out the vault or the, the, the safe there is a storage house for a, a, a storage safe for a local uh, organized crime unit. And he shows up in the very aftermath of a robbery gone wrong. Hmm. And suddenly there are two enormous <laughs> duffel bags full of money yeah. in the parking lot at his feet. Um, and he takes them and then he has to, basically figure out how to not get found out by the gang or by the cops and figure out what to do because, uh, the realities of money is that having millions and millions of dollars in cash is not actually that useful, (laughs) you know, because you can't really do anything with it without drawing attention. And so this movie ends up becoming a thriller, a crime thriller, also a political thriller, also like a finance thriller Hmm. that is at the same time, an ongoing dialogue about what, capitalism is what ethics in capitalism right. is uh and all sorts of other uh, uh, other ideas um and what i like about the movie is that it doesn't even though the main character is 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 a leftist the movie is definitely when i say there's a difference between a movie that's a what's the word i'm looking at because i use the word dialectic and that's what this is it's dialectical as opposed to what do you say when something's like a, it's a polemic yeah there it's not go. a polemic this is a movie that has a conversation and much like an episode of battleship pretension at the end, there's no real conclusion. You know, yeah. you could, you could walk away from this movie interpreting it as saying capitalism is inherently destructive. And the only way to get anything done within a capitalism system is to turn it against itself. Or you could say, if you're a true, like free market conservative, you could say there's no such thing as turning capitalism against itself. Capitalism is neutral and it depends on how it is wielded. In both of those arguments, you know, that it's just as easy to do great, th- helpful, positive things with money in a capitalist society as it is like or, hmm. or capitalism is uh, an awful, destructive uh, force. Both of those both of those points of view are perfectly supported by the film. That's what's so great about it is yeah. that it's, it's a conversation. It also has, I mentioned ethics. There's obviously the ethics of what this guy is doing with the money and what him keeping it does to the people who were supposed to be, you know, caretakers of it. Sure. They're criminals, but now they're on the hook. 
but also there's more movie type ethics is a character that they sort of the, the, the main characters sort of go to for help. Who's a like high, high money, like banker finance guy or whatever. And he, the movie, he is objectively not a good dude. Yeah. The movie doesn't make any attempt to portray him as a good person, but because he is in aid to our protagonists, sure. We as the we as the as the viewer we don't we don't want him to get caught. Like suddenly, I, I like I found myself being like, oh, this is not just questioning the ethics of the characters on screen, but it's the movie has caused me to question my ethics as a viewer. Like, oh, yeah, uh, like how that. do I, you know, <clears throat> why am I rooting for this um, cheating uh, lech to? get away with the thing that he's helping the other guys with. When I would in real life, I would be like, rake this guy over the coals. He's ruining lives. Yeah. But within the structure of the drama, uh, I, I, I need him to get to pull through. It's, it's such a fascinating movie. It's also really funny. It's also, at I was going to ask about that. I was looking yeah. it up and it said crime comedy. Yes, It's very funny. Okay. Uh, it also, the crime part of it is, uh, there's not a lot of violence in it, but it also doesn't shy away. Okay. There's a, there's at least one part in the movie where I would, wouldn't be surprised if some people cover their eyes. It gets wow, uh, pretty graphic. <laughs> um, sounds uh, great. Yeah. It's, I was, uh, I mean, I liked the barbarian, Bar- barbarian invasions. I saw it in the theater in 2003 when it came out and we live in Chicago. I haven't seen yeah. it since. Um, and so I was like looking forward to seeing this movie. Um, but uh, I was really blown. I did not expect to love it as much as as I did. It's uh, it definitely put it on your radar. Well, yeah, because I don't think of Arkan as a as like a genre director, and so anytime a fairly straightforward director tackles genre, that's fascinating to yeah. me. Yeah, because it's never. Please don't think that I'm bashing the idea of genre. I'm not, but they incorporate stuff that is not standard within the genre while also feeling like, well, I have an obligation to still work within it and be a good example of it. And this is absolutely, if you don't want to think about any things I'm talking about, this is just a good sort of like financial thriller slash heist. It's not, it's not really a heist, but they, they have to pull off a scheme that is very heist. Like it's really great. The fall of the American empire. Definitely check it out. And also, this is a tiny little thing, but I feel like we don't get, we don't even get that many Canadian movies. I feel like on a national, uh, on an internet, like yeah. the national level, we especially don't get that many Montreal movies. It's so, yeah, it is so easy for us to forget that there is a part of North America that is French speaking. You know, we don't think about it. And so have this movie. I try this, not to think about it. <laughs> um, to have this movie that unfolds entirely in front of a couple of characters speak English here and there, but in, almost entirely yeah. in French, but it's not a French movie, um, is very clearly a Montreal movie. It, like you were talking about with double indemnity, it makes clear Montreal references. They listen to sports radio talk or news broadcasts about the Montreal Canadians hockey team. Okay. Um, uh, like literally the opening of the movie is them sitting at a diner and the radio is playing, sports talk radio talking about goalie carry prices, uh, salary. That's the very beginning of the movie. It's like very specifically Montreal and you talking about money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, and you don't see, uh, you don't, you don't see that, that, that often, even when you get a Montreal movie, there's like, do you remember, I don't think you ever saw it, but there's that, 
Jay Baruchel movie. I think it was called Good Neighbor or Good Neighbors. Oh no, I didn't. I wanted to though. It's it's not it's not a bad movie, um, but that's a Montreal movie that is mostly it's almost entirely in English and is actually kind of about that. It's about like hmm. uh, English speakers living in Montreal, and it's also a uh, serial killer mystery movie. Um, not, not great. More that movie was more of a good idea in execution or in hypothesis than execution, but uh, an interesting movie. Anyway, Call right. the American Empire. It's great. Sorry. So this is another rewatch. Um, as you mentioned, yeah, like there are, I haven't, first off, I'll say this in general right now, there's not a lot in theaters that I'm interested in. There's a little bit, but even the stuff that I've heard is good. Doesn't interest me that much. I'm not that interested in long shot, for example. Yeah. Um, book smart comes out this weekend, right? That's, that's there's stuff coming out, out yeah. that I'm interested in, but, uh, so yeah, um, I will say, uh, so I, as I, I have a fairly long commute basically everywhere I go. And, uh, so I've been listening to books on tape and I, uh, have been tearing through Michael Lewis's Moneyball, which is mm. a very, very good book. Um, it's structured really well. It's a nice combination of telling the story of Billy Bean while also bringing in the scientific and math uh, elements and mathematic elements of uh, sabermetrics. And it's just very interesting. Uh, but of course it just got me wanting to watch the movie, which I haven't seen in a long time. And I know you don't necessarily love it. Um, <clears throat> and I will say that watching it this time being so familiar with the things that I already liked about it, which is the performances. And I think the structure is obviously unconventional. You and I've talked about that before that like you can't take, this is not the type of sports movie that you can, uh, put into a, a typical structure because it's all about, among other things, this winning streak. And so the very, the very nature of a streak is that eventually it's going to be broken. Like you, and that will be sad. Like you're, you, you can't even really register your success until the success ends. Um, and realize, wow, we did th- this. We won this many games in a row. You won't know how oh, many, right. you, yeah. you don't won't know how many you won until you lose the last one. So I, I think that's interesting. But what I will say is that when I think of Bennett Miller as a director, I think of him as a very straightforward director of drama. I think of Capote, which is a very stripped down film. I think of Foxcatcher, you know, watching this and it makes me want to go back and watch those movies. Not that I was a big fan of Foxcatcher, but I, I do think of that film visually as very dark, heavy use of shadow, that kind of thing. Moneyball, I never thought of as particularly flashy and I, and I don't think it is flashy, mm-hmm. but it's certainly, he is on an editorial basis on a, and on a visual basis. He's a lot more active than I remember. Hmm. Um, he certainly isn't Oliver Stone, but in, you know, any given Sunday, but the number of things that we cut to, uh, or cut away to while characters are talking in the middle of a scene and, and that they're not seeing and it's not happening right now. Uh, but it's meant to just inundate us in the culture of baseball and just these iconic images. Um, and it just, it works really well for me and it, and it, but it also works with the way these characters live. They're constantly reviewing tape. They're constantly thinking over, you know, uh, especially the Billy Bean character, his, his, uh, his baseball career as a player. Uh, and so just the way all of this stuff is cut together, it's just not something that I, that I 
was remembering, and I think that's probably by design. I think that the that unlike Oliver Stone, who I think his his films, and I'm I'm on record as being an Oliver Stone fan. You know, there is a certain self consciousness to the way he makes movies. I think they are calling attention to themselves in a way that doesn't necessarily bother me. This employs many of the same techniques, but I think it's only to point us further to the emotional uh, landscape of these characters. And uh, it's just not a thing that I, that I think about very much. I don't know what Bennett Miller is working on now. I don't know what he's working on next, but, uh, but I'm actually in watching Moneyball again, I'm looking forward to it because I think, and, and it makes me want to, like I said, I want to go back and watch Capote, Moneyball, and Foxcatcher and just see him develop because he's not nearly as much of a journeyman filmmaker as I thought he was. He's much more involved visually uh, than I thought. All right. Uh, one final movie. Um <laughs> Oh, yeah. I wanted to point out as far as good stuff that is in theaters, check your local listings because these are, uh, you know, platform releases or whatever. But Joanna, Joanna Hogg's The Souvenir and Olivier Assayas' Nonfiction, both, oh, two, right. both two of the best movies of the past year or so. Those are things that are in, in theaters that you should definitely check out. Um, I'm talking to you, Tyler, and the listeners, okay. of course. All right. Final movie, and I won't talk too much about this because you can read my very... Uh, negative review on the website, but another Blu-ray release. It's 1994's Farinelli, which is a uh, officially a Belgian film um, uh, directed by Gerard Corbio. I, I don't. You have something against Belgium? No, Belgium. Um, uh, but it's 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 mostly in. It's about an Italian singer from the 1700s um, whose real name was Carlo Broschi, um, but whose stage name was Farinelli, and he was. Uh, a very famous singer of the time, and he was something that uh, uh, I don't think anyone topping the charts these days is. He was a castrato, meaning he had been castrated right. to keep his voice high when he was when he was young. Um, and that's all all true, but it just this movie has so many uh, just eye rolling biopic type of type of things it's so self-serious it's so ridiculous the main story of it is that it wasn't just carlo broski who was famous it was also his brother ricardo broski who wrote the 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 compositions Mm -hmm. and operas that farinelli sang but the premise of the movie i don't know how this is this is true at the time but the premise of the movie basically is that everyone kind of knew including maybe ricardo that Carlo, the singer, was the talented one. Yeah. And then Ricardo's operas were actually kind of crap. People just went to see them hmm. because of this great voice. Um, and so people like Handel, played by uh, Jeroen Krabbe, oh, you know, all right. um, uh, are trying to like steal Farinelli away from his brother, but they have this pact to stay together, but also they both resent one another because this pact is keeping them together. That all sounds very interesting. It, it would be, but it's just the movie's just so full of horseshit. Um, it's very, yeah, very self-serious. It has, because another through line is that Carlo is irresistible to women. Women are always trying to bed uh, Carlo, and so there's all these, there's a lot of sex in the movie, and the sex is... I would say comedic. It's so ridiculously overheated and overcooked. <laughs> I, it's uh, the movie is like impossible to take seriously for the most part. Uh, uh, so we don't necessarily have to unpack this cause it would, cause it could be its, its own episode and maybe actually was at one point offhand. Would you say, I won't even talk specifically about musical bio biopics. I'll talk about like 
artist biopics, whether uh-huh. it be an actor, a filmmaker, a musician, whatever it is. Um, would you say by and large, they are more often than not bad? Yeah. I, they're the kind of movies I've come to, I've, I've come to dread a lot of just portraiture in cinema, just yeah. whether it's a biopic or whether it's a documentary. And I'm seeing, because I like to, I, I always keep my hopes up, but over the next few weeks for battleship retention, for review purposes, yeah. I am seeing for you listener. I am seeing the Mike Wallace documentary, the okay. Tony Morrison documentary and the David Crosby documentary. And I'm like, if one of these is good, I'll be lucky. And yeah. Th- and that's, and I hate that about myself because I think when I was younger, before I started, being a semi-professional film critic, I always went into every movie being like, for all I know, this movie could be great and like having high hopes. And I feel like I've I've become jaded and uh, it's a, it's tough. Uh, Here's the thing. If the jaded keeps you from enjoying something that's good, that's a problem. But that's not the, I don't think that's the case with you. Um, and so, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm very much the same way. I've heard nothing but good things about amazing grace the Aretha Franklin oh, that's just like a concert film. Oh, it's just a, okay. Well yeah. then that, okay. Then that explains that's it. That's a different thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I felt this way about the, the Mr. Rogers documentary is that it's, it's a very good documentary. Um, I learned some things I didn't know before, which yeah. is great. And putting aside like whatever, maybe political reservations as a film, it's fine. It does the job. It's probably better than most, but like so many people were like over the moon about it. And to me, it's just like, yeah, but it kind of, it kind of sticks with the formula. It's not breaking any new ground. It's just the, it's just, we have a, a deeper yeah. association with the subject. I think. Yeah. Maybe that's because I, I, I would put once you be my neighbor as being on the higher end of this, these sorts of things. Whereas things like the Quincy, the Quincy Jones one from last yeah. year, you know, I've, I feel like I've ragged on the RBG one and the Gloria Allred one enough yeah. that I'm starting to sound like a misogynist, but they're just not good movies. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's perfectly <laughs> fine. And just, you know, uh, I mentioned this, I think last week that, uh, you know, the movie crumb is a one is wonderful. It's a, it's an amazing documentary. It's an amazing film mm-hmm. all around. And I think it's because it's not a movie interested in venerating him. I don't think it's a movie interested in talking about how amazing he is or even how influential he is. It's more just, Hey, here's a guy who is of note because of his artistic contributions. Let's see what he's all about. And I think there's a genuine curiosity there. Mm-hmm. Instead, like I think it almost approaches it from a, from a neutral standpoint, as opposed to look, we all know how great this person right, is. Yeah. Let's just start there yeah. and then build on it if we can. Um, yeah, and then the uh, last thing I do want to point out, because I mentioned your own uh, Krabbe, who is a... Uh, you know who he is. If you, you might not know the yeah. name, but he's the bad guy from The Fugitive. So, you know... He's also uh, in King of the Hill, right? Uh, he was in King of the Hill. Yeah, he's also in... He's also kind of the bad guy in Crossing Delancey, which is a ah, great yes. uh, romantic comedy, um, which, if you're in the Los Angeles area, they're showing at the New Beverly uh, in maybe next week. I think it's coming up. Anyway... Um, Last thing I want to say about the cast, there's an actor in it that I, a few years ago, I reviewed for the website um, some restorations of three films by the Taviani brothers, um, an Italian brother directing duo. Mm-hmm. And they have an actor named uh, Omero Antonuti, I think is his name, that is in all, all three of their films. Uh, he was obviously a go-to guy for them. Um, and he is in this, he plays the singing instructor of the young Carlo. And I just wanted to point him out because I always, I've really, 
like even though it's been years since i've watched those taviani brothers movies as soon as he showed up i was like oh that guy because i I really liked him american audiences i think the biggest thing he's done over here even though he was apparently in uh the miracle of saint anna or saint anne the spike lee movie oh yeah yeah everyone forgot existed because i never saw it apparently he's in that but i think the the biggest thing he's done over here is he's the in life is beautiful he's the narrator the grown up the little oh, okay. boy grown up he's the he's the narrator you never see him but that's right. like probably the biggest thing impact he's made over here but he's actually a really good actor and I would say check out Omero Antonuti and check out the films of the Taviani brothers especially uh, The Night of the Shooting Stars and Chaos those are the uh, really good ones 